HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Today's show is sponsored by Bob's Red Mill, 100% employee owned and operated and founded on the principle of good food for all. Learn more at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. All right. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Heritage Radio Network. We are coming to you, as always, from the back of Roberta's Pizza here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You, of course, are listening to The Farm Report. I am your host, Erin Fairbanks. And today we are joined on the line by two visionaries um, whose paths have connected and together they are working to ignite a horticultural revolution. I'm really excited to welcome Ron Finley and Nell Newman to the program. Welcome, guys. Hi, how are you? Welcome. Good morning. How are you guys doing? (laughs) I am good. And I I, think... (laughs) Go ahead. I'm speaking to you guys from the back of a garage. (laughs) From a garage to a shipping container, and you guys are joining us from the West Coast, is that right? Yes, the best coast. ma'am. The best coast. Fighting words. Well, we're going to circle back to that. (laughs) Um, um, uh, So thank you for for being uh, early risers and joining us. Um, I am so excited to learn more about your work together. Um, Both of you have such fascinating um, histories in the food and environmental and agriculture world. And if folks want to find the full extent of that, I definitely uh, recommend visiting the Nell Newman Foundation website or ronfinley.com. But I want to jump right in because I feel like we're going to have a lot to talk about. Oh, 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 oh. I don't, I mean, I don't know. You said history. I mean, I've been in this for two days. You know, I mean, (laughs) Nell's got what? <laughs> Thirty years or something, you know. I, I can't say I got a history compared to her. Come on. Oh well, a little bit longer than you, Ron. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I guess though, I do feel like 
Uh, Ron, looking a little bit at, at your background, there there is kind of a body of work that's kind of leading up to this moment. So while, while it may not be explicitly in this area, I think that, you know, training training looks different, experience looks different, you know, and I think that's one of the exciting right. things about working in food is that, you know, we're all eaters every day, lifelong. Yeah. Um, so we all come to it with a body of, of experience. Um, so I don't know, I wouldn't sell yourself short, but I want to hear how you guys connected. Um, Ron, maybe you could start by, by letting us know how, how Nell first came um, on your radar. Uh, well, let's, you know, you, we, first of all, everybody, you know, if you eat or you, you wear clothes, you're in the agriculture business. Exactly. So, uh, and I love that you included real, clothes. Yeah. Let's, let's realize that, you know, it comes out of the soil. Um, I, you know, I've known of, of Neil for, for years, you know, uh, with the, you know, with the company, uh, Newman's Organic and, um. You know, I, I had the opportunity to meet her and be on stage with her at the Good Food Awards in um, San Francisco. Um, and um, that's where it started, you know. Awesome. I mean, I've always, I you know, I, she, she doesn't know. I was like, man, that's Nell Newman. You know? A little starstruck, <laughs> she, right? She's a superstar, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, well, so now you have kind of the, the one of the, you, you know, unique opportunities um, based on, on your background and your body of work is that I'm sure you get to meet so many amazing um, game changers and people who are doing um, really inspiring work in food and in agriculture. And so maybe kind of turning the tables to you, what was it about Ron that, um, you know, pushed him a, a little bit towards the, the top of your interest pile? <laughs> well, <laughs> I you should put it that way. Um, <laughs> I, I do meet interesting people, but um, usually when you're running a company, I don't know. I had my nose to the ground, and I, I wasn't particularly social. Um, so I did meet some few and far between at, at the Natural Products Show. I had my normal group of people in the food business. Um, and I, one of my dearest friends is Alice Waters uh, in the food world, and she introduced me to – she didn't introduce me to organic food, but she explained to me, you know, why she used organic food. 30 years ago, and I was so impressed by the quality of her food, it, it, really, um, it really changed my perspective uh, on using organic food all the time, and um, I took my parents there, et cetera. But uh, I met Ron at the Good Food Awards uh, when we were giving out our awards that we do every, every year for the Good Food Awards, and Alice and I give out the awards, and I occasionally judge jams. And um, she said, oh, I brought my friend along, and he, I think he's going to say something at the, at the end of the um, award ceremony. And Ron walked up on the stage, and, and she, she was standing next to me, and she said, oh, this is so much fun, I never know what he's going to say. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, you know, he challenged the audience to have a different perspective on food and um, I think it was, uh, you know, and we had dinner, and he told me about the project that he's been working on for the last three years, which is um, his community garden um, down in Watts, Watts, Compton. South Central, actually. 
Haven't been there yet, but I'm going down there soon to plant apples. Nice. Um, oh, apples, <laughs> ambitious. <laughs> yeah, I, I grew a bunch from seed, and that's what, um, that's what I've got. I've got some wildlings that are going to head south. And um, so we got to talk, and he told me about what he was doing, and I heard that there was a, a predatory bank that was trying to take over this abandoned lot or had bought it and was going to sell it out from under Ron. And um, he I said, well, how's that going? And he said, well, you know, I, mean, I know a lot of people with a lot of money, and, you know, they pat me on the back, and they tell me what a good job I'm doing, and, um, you know, we still don't have enough money to save the property. So um, I just thought, I, after about two days, I thought, I can't be one of those people. So I, I watched his documentary, and then I called him back, and I said, I'm going to help you raise the money for this. So how's it going? It's going pretty good. Um, it's going pretty good. I mean, we're about, I don't, you know, if it all, I think we're about halfway there. Um, yeah. Uh, what amazes me is that, and that's, that's a maybe at this point, there, what amazes me if you go to the GoFundMe website is there are all these little tiny grants little tiny people with their 5 and 10 and 15 and 20 and 25 dollar from the community and a couple of um Bette Midler um promised 100,000 bucks which was incredible she you know, is just the coolest <laughs> of contacting her but we're still only about halfway there so we're we're still working on it and um hopeful that we can get it before they uh you know pull the trigger and what is yeah. the what is the total amount that you guys are looking to raise they bought it for a hundred and something, and I think they want to sell it for five hundred. All right. So, Ron, what's the plan um, no. when, when you guys hey, raise yeah. the money? Well, it's to buy the property and keep doing what we're, you know, keep doing what we're doing and just expanding it everywhere. That you know, that's what it is. You know, and not be displaced. This is happening all over the country. You know, I I have people who have been. Um, you know, kicked off farms and, you know, from from Los Angeles to Atlanta to um, in New York and it's, it's uh, Chicago even, you know, because I, I get, um, you know, I'm kind of connected in that in that um, um, stream, let's say, and, you know, people contact, oh, we're going to the same thing. Oh, we just got kicked off, you know, the property that we were in and, and um um, Atlanta, and now they, are, they they want to put condos up. You know, I, I have somebody that in Claremont, um, Pomona here is happening to. So um, what I've been able to do in a very short amount of time is, um, you know, try to change this culture in the inner cities. I mean, so my thing is not just here. What I've done is literally spread around the world. And... Um, which amazes me that, you know, people like, wow, there's this black guy that planted a carrot in the ground in South Central. We have to go see, you know, and because I, I have people from all, literally from all points of the world that come in and just to see this strip of, of land that we have. Because well, what I managed to do, I got the law changed in um, Los Angeles, the city of Los Angeles, where you can plant food on the parkways. Basically, people call them hell strips or that the easement, you know, where we usually have grass. And um, and a lot of people are taking that up. And But not only that, you know, I, I, I can um, 
you know, people around the world are realizing that, yeah, we do, we should have a hand in our food, you know. But I, I want to say, too, that's funny, Neil, that you knew that Alice was bringing me up on stage because I had no idea Alice was bringing me up on stage. <laughs> and she, she always, I should figure it out by now because if Alice is inviting me somewhere, She's she's gonna pull me or trick me on stage. <laughs> he referred to you, you know, as but, her uh, partner in crime. <laughs> right, exactly. So, <laughs> so, so basically, what I you know what I did, I looked at this crowd of a thousand people, you know, and probably you know two black folks there, and I don't know how many Asians were there, you know. And I told him, hey guys, black people eat food. You know, why aren't we represented in this industry a little more? You know, why aren't we out standing out here with these people that make cheese? You know, uh, black people can make cheese. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that yeah. so that's uh, you know, I I bring that to the party. You know, uh, good the the um, what was it? The true cost of food. You know that that conference was in San Francisco last year and. You know, you had these these guys, you know, white guys up there talking about the farm workers, the migrant farm workers, and you know, some of their plight. And uh, and, and I stood up and I said, "Hey, why don't we have some of them here telling their own story? Because you telling their story is just that a version of their story. It's not their story." And they said, "Well, maybe we should ask." I'm like, "They're right down the street. Okay, we're in San Francisco. We can find some farm workers." And I mean, well, yeah, what is the true cost of food? You know, you have women who are having miscarriages from the pesticides and the and the um, the things that are being sprayed on the food that are working in the fields. You have the you know asthma, the cancers that they're experiencing, and um, and then they don't make enough money even to even buy the food that they're that they're harvesting. And no one and no one's talking about that. No one's talking about those pretty apples, those sexy apples that you know, and they're all shiny and wet when we see them in the store. No one looks at that and and see the true cost of how did that apple get there, you know. And that these are the things that I I want to bring to light, you know. So where did like what was the kind of spark moment for you? Like where when did you go from kind of thinking about this stuff to the like I'm going to plant some shit. Um, I went, <laughs> I mean, it was leading up to it, you know, it was, it was a bunch of little needles and, um, uh, but just going to, you know, growing up in South Central and seeing the availability and then, have, you know, you had to go to other neighborhoods to get healthy food, but you didn't see it necessarily as a problem because you're like, okay, I'm going to drive over here because this is over here. You know, it's like if you build it, they will come kind of mentality. But then you realize, why isn't that here? Why do I have to drive? And then, you're, you know, you start seeing the ingredients uh, of the food-ish stuff that we're eating and, you know, the, 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 what, what these companies, you know, like the McDonald's and the Burger Kings and these fast food companies are putting in their food. And, you know, and then with me, I went to the store, I went to a supermarket, a Ralph's, and, it's, and I was getting tomatoes, and it says, uh, tomatoes, a sticker on all the tomatoes that were in this packet, and it says, maybe coated with shellac to, to preserve <laughs> freshness or something. And I'm like, and it took me back. It took me back to when I was in junior high school, and when I used to be in Woodshot, we put shellac on the wood to preserve it. And right. I'm like, I don't know if I really need shellac on my tomatoes. <laughs> and that, that was like one of the, um, you know, I mean, that was, 
you know, your eyes open and you realize and you start looking at it and you're like, all this shit is by design. You know, the fact that, that um, you don't have wheelchairs in the street for sale in Culver City. You know, the fact that you don't have diabetes, uh, you know, clinics a mile away from each other, um, you know, or in Pasadena or in Beverly Hills. And you, you, you realize that, that these, uh, I mean, a lot of these neighborhoods are, are, you know, nothing more than death camps <clears throat> that are killing you really slowly. That's, that was my wake-up call. That sounds intense. What, uh, uh, I mean, what was... Yeah, it, yeah, it is. Yeah, I mean, that's some real, that's some real shit. When you, so, you know, when you're out there and you're like, you know, put in kind of hand to ground, um, what did, you know, what were the questions that came up from people in your community when they came up and they're like, man, what are you doing? What's this about? Um, can you talk a little bit about how that conversation has, has evolved over the last, you know, six, seven years? Well, it was people thought, you know, people thought I was crazy. You know, why, what are you doing? Why are you why are you digging up that grass? Why are you digging up that dead grass? You know, why are you taking the toilets off of the street and the throwing the trash? What are you doing? You know, um, I, it was real simple to me. I have some beauty in, beauty out. If you put beauty in, you get beauty out, period. And that's what I saw the difference in a lot of these communities. Yeah, a lot of people questioned me and thought that, you know, that I was crazy to all of a sudden, you know, they saw the beauty and they saw the growth and they saw the banana trees and they saw the orange trees and they saw the, the rainbow kale and, and the um, rainbow chard and they saw the peach, the nectarines and the pomegranate and, and then it, and the corn growing on the street for anybody to take. And then it changed. I mean, their beauty changed, but what happens, I think we, we just become sheep. And, um, you know, my thing is, you know, let's think differently. You know, let's design the life that we want to live in the spaces. Let's design them the way we want them to look. Because basically, one of the things that took me there was I want to, I want to, I live right across the street from a high school. Mm -hmm. So why shouldn't a, a child be able to? walk to school and pick an apple and pick an orange and pick a, a pomegranate on their way to school right there on the street. Why can't everything, why can't there be fruit trees like this? And um, that's what I wanted to see, you know, and I created on this little parkway in the street, uh, it's 150 feet. And I created this, this, I didn't know I was creating this. I didn't know it would turn into this. I didn't know I would come outside my house and, and, you know, at 12 midnight, there's, there's, People, you know, ha um, sitting in this structure that I built out of branches on, on the street, or they, or that kids would be walking through the garden during the day, or people, it's, it's like a stop. People slow down when they pass by myself because the way I've designed it, it's not a farm. You know, it's a, a garden where you have different colors, different heights, different smells, um, and that's what I wanted. I wanted to affect people. Every sense of your body can be affected in a garden, and that's what I—that's what I wanted to do, and that's what I accomplished. I mean, and now you know I get to go out and get kissed by hummingbirds every day. <laughs> well, it, in a, a lot of ways, I mean, some of what you're describing, you know, sounds a little bit like you know, now you you grew up in 
in more of a rural Connecticut environment, your family had an apple orchard and some chickens, you know, you cooked with your mom, caught fish with your dad in many ways, like we're very immersed from a young age in this incredibly rich kind of sensory uh, environment. I'm wondering when you kind of think about the, the difference of these spaces, like how, how do you kind of understand like, you know, your responsibility to, to bring access to some of that stuff that you, you got to enjoy, you know, kind of through just like luck of birth. Um, and, Mm. and how do you, like, I'm just wondering like when, when you're talking to your friends about, you know, this gangster garden gardener out in South, you know, central LA, how are you, relating that story to, to them? What's the narrative for you? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting. I, yeah, I grew up in, I, I grew up in rural Connecticut and I kind of ran wild and we had a place to run around and I did fish and we had an ancient apple orchard and, you know, I was, I was lucky that way. Um, my parents, um, you know, and then we would spend time in Southern California and, I don't, I certainly don't remember going through South Central, but I did, you know, I, I did have, my parents were very open-minded and very philanthropic quietly, um, so there were, I had interesting experiences in parts of town in New York that weren't like my, you know, weren't like running around the woods in Westport. I loved pigeons, and I used to go up to 125th Street, my mom would at age 12, so, you know, let me go in the pet store and buy pigeons. And I saw that Harlem in 125th, um, you know, 40 years ago was, you know, very different than where I grew up. Um, and then I also did a stint where I, I, um, I hired people for a movie my dad did called Fort Apache the Bronx, and I got a real taste of, um, you know, what that part of, you know, the top of New York looks like where the 42nd Precinct is. And, you know, it really opens your eyes up to um, what now is called a food desert. Um, you know, those are their food deserts. I think it's, what is it, five miles you you have to drive to get fruits and vegetables. Um, so I think people are aware that these, interesting, some people I know are aware. I did talk to a friend the other day who didn't realized that there were places like South Central. She lives, she's, she's lived in Santa Cruz her whole life and said that, you know, she had a, she must have had a very sheltered life. Um, but I think people, any, most people know, you know, there are parts of the world where food isn't available, fresh fruits and vegetables aren't available, and it just, for some reason, really struck me. And, and that the, the movie that, um, that Ron was in called Can You Dig This with you know, all, everybody that was working with him down there and people that were volunteering really caught my eye and, you know, spoke to me. One of the kids in it raises pigeons, and just the beauty of Ron's garden is amazing in, in you know, what is pretty much just a, a bunch of cement. Um, so I, it's not hard to describe it and, you know, and, and appeal to people, uh, you know, for people that, you know, a situation where people don't have, you know, what, what wealthy white people have at, the, you know, their fingertips, which is to go to, you know, go to the grocery store and get whatever you want. 
basically. Um, it, it appeals to people who, you know, they're like, wow, I'm lucky, and these people aren't. All you got to do is watch that movie, and you will donate some money. I, you know, I challenge anybody to watch Ron's movie and not feel the need to support what he's doing or take a shovel down and help plant an apple tree because, um, you know, it's heart-wrenching. Yeah, well, it's it, real. You know, and it's, it's terrible real. That's, that's, that's the hard part. It's real and it's happening. Right. And, and he's yeah, no, I, it. That's the cool thing. Yeah, you know, but it, it, it is hard. It is hard and it is, I mean, I, I think what happens is the, like you were saying, your friend that lives in Santa Cruz. I think what happens is people get trapped in their enclaves, and and they don't. They think since all their friends, you know, they went to school with the same kind of people, and their community is the same kind of people, and they never leave outside their community. So they think the world is like that, and it's like that on both sides. You know what I'm saying? So you never leave out of your community. You know, you got kids that never been to the beach. You got so that's never that doesn't even they don't even know you know, where food comes from, you know. Um, but then you have this other side, and so they think they don't look outside of their enclaves. And I think that's how people grow up, like the, per- the person you were saying in um, Santa Cruz, you know. Um, and that's the sad part. I mean, we all breathe the same damn air, period, you know. And um, and we all going back to the soil. We all are turning to compost. You know, and if people <laughs> took it to that point, if people realized that, so we're all connected, period. You know, um, I think that would change a lot of, of what we're going through right now in this world. I, That's for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there is a, a realization component, um, but I also, I you know, I guess I feel personally um, there is a lot of work to do with just exposure it's like putting yourself in a real way in the in the conversation and being I guess willing to feel uncomfortable and like you don't really know kind of what to do or how to be but you're you're showing up and I think there's that's what's interesting about projects that have taken on um, such a public profile like yours Ron is they give this opportunity for you know meeting place for a coming together but I I have to believe that you know your long-term vision is to not have to be you know standing on the stage in front of a group of white people saying like hey what's up so um, <laughs> you, you know that that talk gets old like I, I feel I feel like there's a little bit of incumbent on um, those communities, especially in food, to kind of you know we got to get our people right. Uh, we got to go out and 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 kind of do that work and get comfortable with the idea of you know confronting that privilege means that you're gonna feel uncomfortable and you're gonna need to do some some real work there. Um, and, and, um, you know, there's, there's like lots of opportunities to do that. Like you said, the people are there. They're not hard to find. The spaces are not hard to no. I- identify, you know? Yeah, but it is, it's hard for some people because it's like, we do, we do this, uh, we do this Airbnb experience thing, you know? Um, and, and one of, one of the last ones we did, we had, a. Um, this kid, he, you know, grew up uh, affluent, white guy, 
and he was bothered because we were doing the bike trip, and I said, okay, I want you guys to, to look at all the liquor stores in this community as we ride by, and, and I want you to look at all of the food uh, as, we drive, as we ride our bikes by, and, and, um, and all the churches. Why the hell is there so many churches in these communities? You know, when you can't buy any food, why don't all these churches get together and stop set tripping? Like, my God is bigger than yours. My God is better. <laughs> well, you know, well, if your people live longer, you get more money is what you're basically in business for. But that's a whole nother story. So this kid, he could, it bothered him that, you like, Ron, what can I do? I'm, you know, I, I grew up with this privilege and I didn't have to experience this. And, and he, you could see in his face the, the, the pain that he was feeling because he, he didn't have a clue how to help or what to do. And, I, and it made me think, wow, how many people are going through this like this that, that see that this shit ain't right and want to change it and, um, you know, know that it's not fair and, and see the, the, the burden you know, that basically are, are put on people in some of these neighborhoods, you know, and I, I had a conversation with, you know, um, that you can't take it like that. You can't look like that. And there, there are ways to do it, you know. Um, and uh, so th- to me, I, it was, it, he just brought up a thing in me that was like, wow, how, how many people uh, don't know how to help or who to contact or, or what to do or um, so, I mean, and I think that's, that needs to be um, that needs to be figured out too, you know. Make it easy for people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, but I, also, well, yeah, I, me, I just think it's not easy though. I mean, I think you should. I think people need to do it, but I don't. I I think that I think there is a certain amount. I have this conversation with my girlfriends a lot, where I'm just like, you know, it's 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 like work and people who are really good at understanding the food system, people who are really good uh, at understanding institutionalized racism or sexism. They're good at that because they've put a lot of work in. They've read the books, they've gone to the spaces, they've listened to the podcast. They've, you know, they've shown up, you know, (laughs) like you can't escape the work, I guess is, is, is all I I like want to, I feel like there's a, like people want like a magic bullet. Like the, the thing is, you know, the garden and the community that you're, you're, you're building there. I think in the thing I feel really strongly about urban gardens generally is they, they become such a wonderful kind of uh, teaching tool and, and focal point, but they are aspirationally after goals that go far beyond, you know, what's happening in that specific space, which is why they are so important. And I think so exciting. Yeah, no, it, it, they become connectors, you know, for, for all kinds of things. I mean, I, I, I have, um, you know, I, I started an organization before the Ron Finley project and we put in gardens in South Central for free. And I just, I would, you know, if I saw somebody in a supermarket with frozen carrots, you know, and their, and their kids with them, I'm like, Hey, you know, we, we have this program where we will put a garden in your, in your home for free and you can give your kids fresh food. And I was like some crazy man. I was like, I had to look at myself, dude, you don't even know these people. You're a, a <laughs> cost in a, in a supermarket, you know, but it, it, and some people took it up, and some people, you know, thought I was crazy. But also, there was the experience where, has with that, you know, we was a, we would call in people, volunteers from all over the place would call, and so there was just a couple of situations where uh, had a, a white woman, you know, she comes over from West Side, and 
And, she, you know, people think South Central is just this, like, everybody's running around with shotguns and machetes and, you know, everybody's <laughs> dealing drugs. And, right. You know, like, like people live like there. Kids, pants. families, grandmas, they do laundry, they cook dinner. Like, exactly. <laughs> You know, kids play you know, hide and, and seek, like normal <laughs> shit happens. No, lions and tigers and bears and gorillas. Oh, my. You know, so, this, so this woman comes over here. She's this nice house. And, you know, we're putting a garden in. The bottom line is we're in South Central, but also Baldwin Hills, View Park is in South Central. And you got houses like, you know, can go to a million five now, you know, easy in some of these neighborhoods. But it's still, there's still food prisons to me. And so this woman, she says, well, you know, I can't volunteer for you guys anymore because I, I can't put in a garden for somebody that's doing better than me. And I told her, good, we don't need you. Because no one said this was about anything about poverty-stricken people or, or you know, downtrodden. You know, I don't know where she got that from. It was the thing. We had an initiative to put gardens in South Central, period. I didn't care. You know, because those people drive a Mercedes, so damn what? How do you know it's theirs? How do you, who cares? I'm not the government. I'm putting in gardens, period. If you don't want to be a part of it, then you don't want to be be a part of it. Um, Guys, we have to take a. There's that mentality. I'm I'm just going to jump in. We have to take a short break to hear from the wonderful folks who make our work possible here at Heritage Radio. So we're going to have a a quick word from our sponsor, and then we'll be right back. We are on the line with Nell Newman of the Nell Newman Foundation and Ron Finley, better known as the Gangster Gardener. You're listening to The Farm Report, and we're going to be right back. I don't think there's anybody worthy to run this company but the people who built it. I have employees who've been with me for more than 30 years, and plus, each and every one of them deserves to be an owner. That's just the way it ought to be, and that's just the way it is. This is Bob Moore. He and his wife, Charlie, started Bob's Red Mill almost four decades ago. Today, they offer one of the largest lines of organic whole grain foods in the country. And in 2010, on his 81st birthday, Bob gifted ownership of the company to his employees. I'd received plenty of offers to buy my company over the years, but selling out never felt like the right thing to do. When the time comes to let someone else run this show, I can't imagine selling it to a stranger. Giving the company to my hardworking employees just feels right. The company now has an Employee Stock Ownership Plan, or ESOP. Stock is put in a retirement plan for all of its employees. When employees retire, the company buys back their shares. According to the National Center for Employee Ownership, about 11,000 companies in the U.S. currently run as ESOPs. It just shows how much faith and trust Bob has in us. That's Bo Thomas, the company's engineer and maintenance superintendent. He's been with Bob's Red Mill for over 27 years and has put his four children through college in the process. For all of us, it's, it's more than just a job, and, and obviously it's the same way for Bob, too. Bob is still very active in the company. He's the president and CEO, and you'll find him working at the mill just about every day. Because when you love something this much, you want to be a part of it. Well, I may have given them the company, but the boss part is still mine. 
Bob's Red Mill is committed to sharing only the freshest, best-tasting whole grain foods on the planet. Learn more about their mission of good food for all at bobsredmill.com slash podcast. All right, we are back. We are on the line with Ron Finley and Nell Newman. Nell, I wanted to um, jump in here um, with with a little bit of time that we have left because something that strikes me um, about about the work that you've done in, in in particular looking at organics is even though I feel like in many communities uh, organics. Uh, People have a, a, a fair, fairly like well-defined understanding of them, and obviously there's a lot of growth in, in organic agriculture in the U.S., but they are still a very small part comparatively of the food that's produced in this country, and many people, I feel like, don't really get what the big deal is. So in, a, in, in its own way, this the organic conversation is, too, like this conversation somewhat on the margins that revolves around a lot around the kind of like have and have not and impacts and who's it for and feeding the world. And I'm wondering if you can kind of tease out for us, um, a little bit of like from where, from where you sit, like, how are, how are we doing in that space? How is that conversation, uh, evolving and, and how do you kind of think about it when you think about, you know, access? Um, you know, it's always been tough because the conventional world of agriculture has created um, an artificially low price of food. I mean, it is, um, you know, it is supported by the government, um, and, you know, everything produced, foods produced conventionally are sold at an artificially low price, and um, it it is, does not truly reflect the true cost of food. One of the reasons is it doesn't reflect the effect on the environment. It doesn't affect. It, it does not reflect your health, um, the health of the soil, um, the health of other animals. Um, that it, none of that is reflected in the price of your conventional apple. And so we are, you know, humanity since 1945 when we started using all those chemicals we made for World War II on our soil, um, you know, is having the effects of um, those chemicals being used. I mean, a lot of health issues can be directly correlated. Um, Look at what's happening with our bees. You know, why does anybody think that a bee can survive on a plant that gets sprayed, you know, 20 times a year? Um, So there's a direct correlation that's not reflected in the price. Organic truly reflects um, the cost of food production. Uh, food costs more, and it, that is that is a fact. I, the more that we, the more that we're able to expand the growth of organic food, um, the more you know. Hopefully, the price will come down when it's more accessible. Certainly, farmers markets have quadrupled over the past ten years, so you are able to get, um, you know. Food directly from the farmer, which is usually more reasonably um, priced. You can also, uh, people on food stamps, there are food stamp programs um, started by Wholesome Wave at a lot of farmers markets, which does make it affordable. And so I think that really, you know, a lot of, and most of that stuff is organic. So I think it is growing. I think when I was, um, when I first started Newman's on Organics, we were, 
organics was one to two percent. I think we're closer to you know eight nine. Yeah, I now. think that's right. Yeah. Um, so that's that's within a twenty five year period, um, and that's been done without. Although there has been, you know, my my argument always was equal funding over equal time. People say, well, how do we know if organic can feed the world? Well, if we had equal funding over equal time, we might be able to tell. But we don't, you know, um, and God knows we're not going to have it now. But, it, you know, in 1993, when we first started, it was one-tenth of one percent of the USDA's budget. That did increase over the years, but geez, how are you ever going to be able to figure it out if you're not funding research about right. organic agriculture? Yeah, so it, therein lies the problem. And there, that's why growing stuff in your backyard is such a, is such a great opportunity to, to be able to taste food and, you know, at least supplement your own diet. Things, you can grow things in pots. Um, you can grow tomatoes, you can grow peas, you know, there's so much you can grow in a pot. But it is, it is tough because people are used to an artificially low cost for food. You know, that loaf of Wonder Bread doesn't cost that much, but it's also going to give you much nutrition. Right. So, you know, like the kind of trade-offs that are happening that, you know, I, I love the Wendell Berry quote, you know, I'm not, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit here, but he's like, when you outsource your food supply, you really have to question the motivations of the person or organization or entity that you're outsourcing it to, because they probably are not the same as yours. Yeah. Um, and that's absolutely true. So it's, it's it's tough. It's tough, um, and I think that's it's something that you know, or, you know, that independent organizations like the the Organic Trade Association and um, the Organic Farming Research Foundation have, have been trying to put money into the research. And some a lot of universities now are doing organic research, which has been tremendously helpful. Um, I would you know a lot of that's been foundation based in support. You know, it's, it's, but it doesn't make up for the, you know, the huge amount of support that's going, you know, directly from ADM and Cargill Dow into universities um, and government, you know, matched by government grants. So, you know, there's no, there's no similarity in funding, and it makes it a lot harder to, to explain to the public and to actually show the data on on what's going on. Yeah, I think the idea that philanthropy can take the place of our our government with regards to uh, feeding people or driving research, uh, you know, it just doesn't reflect what I feel like are our real American values. We are, I'm so bummed. We are sadly out of time. Ron, I want to know, because I know my listeners out there are excited to support your work, what, what's the best way for them to do that? Um, they can go to my website, ronsonlee.com, and they can donate or on, um, you know, through our PayPal, or they can go to our, um, we have a GoFundMe, a GoFundMe slash Save the Gangster Garden, um, and they can help out that way, too. And basically just spread it. I mean, I think the more we spread it, the, the word and that let people know that this is happening, you know, that we, uh, that, uh, we can change this, 
you know, like with everything else, we we got to really, you know, we I think this whole thing of us working together and 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 start. Stop set tripping. You know, well, I don't deal with this religion and this. I don't deal with these kind of people. And you know, people it's the same water, it's the same air. You know, we're all going to the same place, the soil. So, so let's be happy while we're here and make this shit happen. All right, I don't have anything to add there, guys. Thank you so much. Great show. <laughs> um, all right. You heard it here. Um, get, you know, get out your cell phone right now. Why wait? It's ronfinley.com. That's R-O-N-F-I-N-L-E-Y.com. Toss them a couple bucks. Um, and that makes you a part of it. Um, share this, share this episode with your friends, get the word out there. Um, really appreciate you tuning in to another episode of the farm report. If you like what you hear, um, please subscribe. It's great to have uh, subscribers via iTunes or Stitcher. If you want to leave comments, please write a review. You can find me on social media. I'm Aaron underscore Fairbanks. Would love to hear more from you. And uh, stay tuned. We'll be back at you next Wednesday with another great episode. Thank you so much for listening. Stay tuned in. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, guys. Ah. (laughs) Okay. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.